Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone. I would like to introduce you to Lori. Hi, I'm Lori Voss. I am the uh, COO and co-founder of NPM Inc., uh, who maintained the NPM registry. Uh, and it's important to me to cause a scene and to be part of causing a scene uh, because I believe that the tech industry will be made stronger if the pool of people who participate in it is made more diverse. So um, why was it important for you to support this event? Um, this sounded like a great event uh, to bring in people who are at the margins of the tech industry, who are sort of listening to these conversations but don't feel like they're included or don't feel like they can uh, actively participate or just have some sort of structural barrier that they, that, uh, they believe probably correctly puts them at a disadvantage um, and uh, just get them all into a room together. Like there's just strength through solidarity and, and uh, causing and uh, creating networks amongst people is a really great way of increasing the strength of that group. So is um, NPM doing anything specific to this um, strategy? Do they have anything specific that they're working on? Um, so NPM, since the beginning, uh, has made um, having a diverse pool of people in the company uh, a priority. Um, we looked very carefully at the way that we write the language of our job of our um, uh, of our job descriptions so that it had inclusive language um, we very carefully structured our interview process so that it has checks and balances to look for when bias is at play um, and we've also uh, found that one of the most effective things that we can do is just um, cast a wider net uh, when we are doing hiring one is um, sending our job postings to uh, like people of color in tech, that job board, and women in tech, there's another job board. Um, but also, like the mo one of the most effective things is just keeping job description, job openings open for longer. Uh, because oh, talk about that. People who are in a network find out that a job is open very quickly, right? They mm -hmm. find out about it that day because their friends tell them about it and their friends are plugged in. So if you open a job description for a week, you will get a bunch of people who are very close to you in terms of network. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that whereas, makes sense. Whereas we found that if we, we keep them open for at least two weeks, often three or four, uh, people who are further, more links in the network away, people who are three or four degrees removed from us, it takes it that long for the yeah. job to even get there and then for them to you know find the time to apply. So... Um, it's remarkably like it slows down the process because obviously you have to wait three weeks instead of instead of one. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a remarkably like low cost but effective way of increasing the pool of uh, the diversity of the pool of people that you get and also just the size of the pool. Wow. Okay, <clears throat> you've talked today about the the. I want you to explain um, how you see the hiring process when you were talking about it. It's set up to continue to perpetuate itself. So yes. Um, one of the things that, that I've observed um, when uh, I was interviewing for jobs like, oh God, it's like five or six years ago now, um, 
was that the process is extremely similar across a bunch of Silicon Valley companies, but the process doesn't make sense. The process is cargo culting. The process is everybody copies the way that they were interviewed and just does the same thing without thinking about whether or not that way of interviewing is actually a good way of finding candidates in the first place, and especially not without thinking it's a fair way of finding candidates. Everyone just does, you know, there's just a lot of like whiteboard interviews and algorithm questions and um, uh, time-limited high-pressure things like pairing and code, code questions and stuff like that, which are all geared towards people who are, um, you know, who are successful at standardized testing to some degree, yeah. um, but also just to people who are uh, intrinsically kind of arrogant. Um, <laughs> like, if, if you're just the kind of person who thinks you're good at everything, then you're going to do well at the Silicon Valley interview because you'll just wing it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. Whereas if you're the kind of person who's cautious or hesitant or, or you know, conditioned to believe that maybe you're not as good as you really are, um, you're going to get nervous in those situations, and you're, because you are nervous, you're going to do less well. Yeah. And an interview process that filters for confidence and filters against nervousness is intrinsically an interview process that favors, uh, uh, that disfavors the marginalized groups, yeah, right? Yeah. Whether or not they're actually qualified, an interview process that requires you to be super confident about that you're going to get the job is an interview process yeah. that's going to favor white guys. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a great perspective. Um, any, any parting words, what kind of advice would you give to someone marginalized community who is looking for a job and comes to MPM? Um, the first thing is definitely apply whether or not you think you meet all of the qualifications. We have found uh, that um, some people read interview, uh, read job descriptions as like a list of nice to haves, and some people read job descriptions as a list of must haves. Um, and so we try and keep as we actually try and just write really vague job descriptions because the vaguer it is, mm -hmm. uh, the more diverse the pool, and that is not in any way that doesn't inf uh, that improves the quality mm -hmm. because people aren't looking at it. People applying for jobs is hard. Applying for jobs is scary. People read job descriptions looking for the first reason not to apply. They look at the job description and they're like, well, well, that's the thing that is going to make this you know, scary and, and labor-intensive interview process not worth it, so I won't bother. Mm -hmm. So the fewer reasons you can give them not to apply, uh, the, the broader and the better the quality of, of people who come in. So what I would say is, if it looks like a job that you want, apply for the job, whether or not you think you're qualified. It's the interviewer's job to figure out if you're qualified. You should just fucking apply. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome Les. <laughs> there it is. Sorry. <laughs> I want to welcome Les to the podcast. So, Les, introduce yourself. What do you do? Uh, my name is Les Lincoln. I run a team called Fleet uh, for Azure at Microsoft. Okay. All right. And so, two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene, and how are you causing a scene? Uh, it's important to cause a scene in the way that uh, Azure is kind of disruptive to Microsoft in general, and I don't want to get too far into mm -hmm. that, right? It's a whole cloud <laughs> thing. Um, but uh, the other part of your question is, cause scene is important because 
uh, a lot of the conversation is not being had in the open, right? And so I think that uh, even as we do some Microsoft culture disruption and uh, acknowledge some of the problems in business for Microsoft that uh, uh, diversity has a finger on the pulse of, right? Um, there, there's also things that are going on outside the company. And one of the things that, the, that uh, Microsoft and Satya particularly are interested in is the words for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, when we say for everyone, we better actually mean for everyone. Mm -hmm. so. Cool. So tell me, why are you here? Why, why, yeah, why are you here? Uh, so I actually came because uh, I thought it was a job fair, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, well, let me stop. It was supposed to be a job fair, okay. and we can talk about why it's not a job fair. Okay, but that that's okay, yeah. right? Um, I'm I'm a black man in upper management at Microsoft, right? Mm -hmm. And I've been uh, in upper management in tech for some number of years now, uh, and it's it's tough, right? And uh, part of my job is to go find people that are diverse and bring them to the company and help them understand uh, how the company wants to change and where they might fit in that. Um, so this particular thing was somebody called me up probably because I'm a black dude in management and there's yeah. not a lot of us. Yeah. And they said, uh, can you help us, you know, uh, spread the word. So here I am. So let's talk about, because we talked about this earlier, and I want to get back to this. Why We talked about why there's this is the job fair is not a job fair as, it, as you thought it would be, as, as I intended, because we don't have any people here that were, um, and I don't, we talked about that. So let's, I, I'm going to let you talk about that, because you had some questions. Yeah, about, so my, my question was uh, <laughs> really around um, kind of the prep work that goes into that, right? Because that... Uh, I understand from, from my own experience, like just trying to hire ones and twos, right, that when we go out uh, and we find somebody in, that's, you know, a minority in, in a certain community, uh, that we really have to handhold them through the whole hiring experience, right? You know, you have to find them, you have to help them understand that this job is actually for them, yep. right? And then you have to get them into the interview process and... Uh, help them navigate that process because there's a whole bunch of coded language that happens within that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, once they're here, uh, you still have to help them, right? Yeah. Because uh, the the environment uh, wasn't essentially set up for them to begin with, mm -hmm. right? So now not for them to be successful. Right, right. Yeah. So um, you have to listen to them and and make sure that we understand like what challenges they're experiencing in their way, so that we can. Uh, uh, help them be successful. And so I want to talk about that because everybody knows that I experiment with stuff. So I want to experiment with the the job and coaching coaching fair part of this. And I really want to. I'm not going to say get it right. I want to improve on it each time. And one of the things, because as you guys know, I'm black and he's a black person, um, and we're the only black people in this room right now. Um, it becomes a conversation of how do we get people who can really benefit from this space, from this work. Uh, who can really change their lives and change their experiences to trust these, ex and this is that, that's, that's a, because we reached out to marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. And how do we get them, we talked about that, that, that handholding, how do we get them to trust, to understand that hashtag cause a scene conference and others that are like this are in their best interest. We're not, it's not about marketing, it's not about causing harm, it is about ensuring that you have a place here because you do. 
Um, and that's a challenge. You challenge me with that. And I don't know the answers because um, I don't know networks in every community. And so it's, a, it's incumbent upon me as I move forward to make sure the teams that I put in place to set these up have some connection to the communities that I want, that I'm, that I'm reaching out to. Because, um, yeah, that's, that's, that get, they, when you said that, that gave me something to think about. And it's something I knew, but to see that we had done the work on the ground and they still didn't show up. And then when you ask that question, it's like, okay, this is something I really need to think about moving forward um, as I, um, as we, as my community, tries to, to, to do the work, not tries, does the work of bringing these people in and understanding, because I'm with you on that. I say you cannot just drop marginalized people into these groups and into these jobs and think that they're, oh, you're hired, that's done. No, this is a, it's an investment. Yeah, it is, right? And uh, I mean, it's an investment from the very get-go where, you know, they, they may get uh, an email or you know some other notification that you're coming, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but there's risk involved in that because you know even I, I don't know what they're doing today. They're probably working, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so they got to take time out uh, and possibly lose some income to come to this thing or find babysitting, all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah. You know? So there's there's an investment up front before they even get here, yeah. right? Uh, on our side, right? I think there's an investment of you know how do I reach out to those community leaders that. Uh, have the the clout right and can say you know you, you really ought to go to this thing yeah. right because uh i have some knowledge of the program or i know you know i've seen some people go through it mm -hmm. and uh they've got jobs yeah Maybe you yeah, want yeah. yeah you know yeah um but that that level of you know as you put it the street team right has to go out and and meet those community leaders or the the influencers or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. so that folks trust that you know, their investment of their time uh, is going to have some return. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You gave me a lot to think about. Any parting words, any, any advice you have for marginalized groups who are trying to transition into tech? Um, I would say, you know, there, there are folks like ourselves that are either in this space or adjacent to this space. And uh, I at least take it very seriously when people reach out to me, you know, I can't can't work with everybody all the time but I do the very best that I can and I know my peers take it seriously yeah. as well so please don't hesitate to you know go to your LinkedIn or to your Facebook or whatever whatever it is that you're using if you see somebody that you think can help you just take a take a chance reach out to them thank you so much and thank you for participating and coming and supporting it's my pleasure it's all my right. pleasure to be here thanks Okay, everyone, I would like to introduce you to Tobias. Hello. Can you introduce yourself? I am Tobias Zarlez. I am a senior software engineer at Microsoft. I focus on all sorts of cool technology, usually whatever the latest and greatest. Uh, lately, I've been doing a lot of mixed reality and holographic development. So that's been Jealous. really fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get to do the cool stuff Jealous. like that. So um, two questions. Yes. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Uh, I think the biggest thing for like me personally say it's it's why is it important is that it's not being done enough. Just universally, I'm in way too many conversations with people, coworkers, friends, acquaintances, that it literally comes up with people not believing white privilege exists. 
like that bar is so low mm-hmm. and it's so hard to penetrate and it's and these are smart people, right? It's really easy to write them off as people like, oh, these people are so ignorant. Oh, you can't help people like that. Oh, you just got to ignore those bad people. And no, there is a systemic problem everywhere in every industry. And it won't change until someone speaks up. It won't change until someone's forced to confront their beliefs. And the more that you can contribute to doing that, the better society is going to be. So how are you causing this uh, that is also a great question. I, I try, I mean, one of the number one things as a queer person is I try to be out as much as possible, right? Oh, wow. As a queer, queer person, one of the number one ways in, in particular of my own experience, of my background, the way queer people have, have gone, the, the social change that we have, not that things are perfect now, but things are better over the last 50 plus years, you know, thinking back all the way to the Harvey Milk days, mm-hmm. right? You have to come out, you have, you have to be known. You know, people do not know anything about transgender people at all. And then suddenly we have Caitlyn Jenner. And as, you know, whatever you want to say about Caitlyn Jenner, suddenly there's a cultural touching point that people can go, oh, I've heard of a person like that. Mm -hmm. And literally before that, they didn't have that reference. So um, I think uh, as someone who is white and uh, in general presents male, even though I'm NB. Um, What's that? I'm non-binary. Okay. Um, which is a whole other thing that yeah. people don't even know it exists. <laughs> but uh, as someone that it's really easy to be kind of pigeonholed into a heteronormative, like, oh, you're you're not queer, you're not mm-hmm. like this. You know, being able to stand up and shout is uh, it's what I think is the number one way um, I can have impact. That's it. That just existing and saying I exist is not enough. So it's not to say that that is the best thing, right? Um, and so uh, I want to try to support as many events as possible. I try to mentor people um, as much as possible. Uh, I try to you know, not be the kind of ally that just says, oh, yeah, I'm for these things. But I try to be the kind of ally that's interjecting when I see something that's problematic, when I see something's a problem, when I say, hey, have we consulted other people on this. Hey, have we thought about these perspectives? And I tried to make sure if I'm, you know, in a room and that room's not diverse and I'm more likely to be in that room, unfortunately, because, uh, you know, there's rooms are primarily just, you know, white. It's, uh, I can be there. Hey, this is a problem. We need to start changing this from the inside. So that's how I try. So how are you, um, since this is about coaching and getting jobs, what advice or what, what are some th- challenges you've seen for marginalized people to enter tech, and what kind of advice would you give them? Uh, so one of the main things uh, in general is this whole it just imposter, people like to call it imposter syndrome, but it's kind of more nuanced than that, the notion of you know, do I know this? Do I belong here? Do I have this background? Do I have this experience? It's really easy for a privileged person to feel empowered, to, you know, reach for the stars, to grab at job positions that they don't have, you know, necessarily the all of the qualifications for, or jump into a new technology that they're not familiar with. And so someone who has been, you know, very forefront technology, very into new bleeding edge tech, um, just kind of giving yourself that permission of not just know you belong here, but no, you can be the expert on that. You can know every as much as someone who's had the professional job, even if you haven't. You you are that that knowledge is both available and out there, 
but also you probably have more experience than you think mm -hmm. when approaching other people and not having that deference of the expert, but thinking about mentors as your peers. Um, something that was really profound for me as a young person um, as I did archery and I had a coach and I, I remember this day so vividly and the coach training us on archery and the coach saying, some of you are really good shooters. Some of you will probably shoot better than me. Um, do you think that I need to be better than you to be my coach? And everyone in the room said, yes. You know, we were all kids at the mm -hmm. time. And then he said, okay, so do you think that the co in general coaches and mentors have to know more than their pupils in order to be good coaches? People said, yes, of course. Isn't that how it works? They said, all right, who's the coach of Tiger Woods? And everyone's like, started thinking about that. Like, no, actually, Tiger Woods has a whole team of coaches. Tiger Woods needs his coaches to be the best in the world, needs his mentors to you know, be able to do what he does. His coaches and mentors aren't better than him. They weren't you know, the previous record holder that passes mm -hmm. down the mantle. Mm -hmm. um, there are people who can look at what you're doing, comment on it, and tell you how to improve because there's things that a coach or someone outside of your perspective can help you with. So anyone can be a coach. Mm -hmm. You don't, don't have to think about the coach has to be someone who is better than you, someone who's known all those things. Not only does it not to be, but you can coach yourself and coach your peers and raise them up. And like that was a, as I said, it was a really profound moment for me. And I, I think it applies to uh, tech in general as well. So what are some, what kind of advice would you um, like to close out with? What, if you, there was a, a, a young black woman in front of you, and she um, just heard about this tech thing, and she wanted to, you know, see about it as a career, what would you, advice would you give her? Uh, figure out how you learn. Everyone has a different way, right? I personally, I love diving into code and building a prototype and, you know, seeing with my hands. You know, uh, a video doesn't really do it for me. I, I cannot really work yeah. with that. Yeah, but right, but yeah. some other person, yeah. it's videos, exactly. right? Um, and so uh, as someone who has been in the position of interviewing, I specifically ask people, what kind of learner are you and wow. what works for you? Um, and I'll judge people if their answer is too vague or I don't know. Like, I want people to tell, hey, like, no, videos don't work for me, yeah. but books do. Exactly. No, books don't work for me, but I need this, right? And so when you show me that, what you're demonstrating is, okay, if I need to have you do something that you don't currently know, what are you going to be able to learn that? Mm -hmm. And so if you can talk about how, oh, yes, if I'm given these videos this time, this hands-on, this kind of mentoring, this is how I learn, mm -hmm. I can start doing the math of, now this is what I need to get this person up to speed, and it starts becoming a more real picture yes, of how to hire instead someone. Instead of you guessing about, okay, if I hired them, what would I have to do? This person is 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 directing you. Is mm -hmm. okay. So yeah, we have these videos. We okay, we don't have that, but we can create that, or we can get that from somewhere. And so now you're starting to do the because, cost analysis. Because whatever your answer is. Any company that yeah. you want to work for is going to have learning systems in place that are yeah. going to work for you. Yeah. And so if you talk about the systems that work for you, it's going the any company that you actually want to work for, that answer will resonate with them yeah. because they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, we have other people on the team that learn that way. We have these yeah. resources. We have that. Because if they don't, you don't actually want to work for that yeah, company. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Exactly. If they don't, if they, they have the one size fits all, you don't want to be in that space anymore. Yeah, and so if, if you want to find out if you fit or not. So. Yeah. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag Hello, everyone, and my com. next guest is Dan. Dan, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Dan Shaw, um, founder of NodeSource, been engaged with the Node.js community for a better part of 10 years, and... Uh, um, yeah, uh, you know, happy to, to come out and participate in coaching, um, you know, mostly because in uh, building business, really, uh, you know, looking to, to bring uh, a, a diverse workforce, uh, you know, to bear in, you know, creating products and services. And, um, you know, that's not easy, especially as a white dude. All right, so tell me. <laughs> I love how we get started right away. <laughs> We're going in. <laughs> so tell me, why is it important to cause a scene, and how are you causing the scene? So I, I think it's uh, exceedingly important that um, you know, we have activism to, to drive attention to, uh, to do the right thing, to, you know, to change discourse. Uh, I tend to be a diplomat. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting, um, you know, place to be in causing a scene when you're a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I tend to ally myself with individuals who are more, you know, radical um, and, you know, in, in, in invite some of that. Um, you know, that act activism, um, but, you know, that diplomacy, you know, d uh, often leads me to being a, um, you know, a supporter uh, and not necessarily, um, you know, frontline. Um, and, you know, I also personally struggle uh, in, um, you know, representing and, and getting to, uh, you know, uh, trying to avoid being like a white knight, in, you know, literally white knight in the situation. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things that I've, uh, you know, had to learn over the last couple of years, and, and it's you know, probably unfortunate that it's been that recent, um, is to shut up. Oh, white man shutting up, that's a great thing. And you know, like that, it seems like a weird thing to say, but you know, it's it's something that um, I've been very intentional. Uh, and it was interesting that you, you know, called me out for shutting up, uh, and uh, you know, uh, you personally said that you know that, that wasn't good enough. Um, but, Tell me about that. What what did what did I do? <laughs> uh, you know that that, that you know I, I, it was necessary to to uh, get more involved and um, you know. To, to drive change by uh, you know, being an example and uh, you know, being out there. So um, when you say you shut up, are you also listening? Yes. Or at least I try. Try to active listen while I, I can <laughs> attest to, um, to that. And I can I actually attest to 
um, you not having a thin skin, which is mm. which is an interesting perspective for a white guy in position because True. you are known in in, in tech development. Um, your company is successful, and it could be very easy. And it's often I'm not going to say easy because I don't want to assume, but it seems easy from a marginalized person looking in that once white guys get to that that space, they're already arrogant enough. Mm-hmm. But it comes to a thing where we know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what challenge? What was the first thing? When did that start shifting for you? I think the fact that I'm you know relatively effeminate in you know my ways that um you know i'm heterosis you know fairly normal uh but you know i do you know i get i get uh crap all the time for the fact that i wear scarves like <laughs> and everybody everybody's comfortable going there and like taking a dig at you know oh you got this scarf and I'm like all right all right um you know it's it's not a you know a, a deep uh, dig yeah. uh but it's definitely you know a little microaggression yeah. and um uh, you know I I've 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 gotten a bit, and um, you know I I I also uh, you know try to pay attention to you know how uh, you know other other folks in um, the industry are are getting impacted, and just paying attention a little bit uh, on what's going on uh, with your peers, uh, you know it's it's. Uh, um, it becomes pretty obvious that uh, you know things are not uh, equal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, between you and you know, your peers, especially you know uh, folks uh, from underrepresented groups. So, what advice, uh, since this is about coaching, mm. what what advice would you give to a marginalized? I'm gonna say a a woman of color mm. who's had a career elsewhere mm-hmm. and is thinking about, has heard about this tech thing. What, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Cause that's the, not the, you know, the stereotypical person transitioning into tech. Cause it's always, people think it's a young person's game, right. but right. we know that yeah. youth cannot do this by themselves. Right. They don't have the perspective. They don't. So what would you, what kind of advice would you give that person? So some of the best advice that I, I you know, uh, had on this uh, came from, uh, you know, a, a fellow engineer, um, Amy Codes is the, uh, the handle she goes by. Uh, she gave a great uh, presentation uh, in uh, the diversity inclusivity uh, section of an open source conference uh, about uh, sometimes you got to bring your own, uh, you know, your own chair but also sometimes you got to bring your own table. And <laughs> yeah. I really like that. You know, that like I heard the, you, know, you got to bring your own chair, yeah. you know, uh, as, as uh, you know, uh, something that I'd heard before. But the bringing your own table, that was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's why uh, I've, uh, you know, kept on in, in the, the, the sort of world of, of starting a business. Mm-hmm. It, like, if... Uh, Driving change in uh, you know a, a business that is already 
baked in and his culture is set and you know trying to make any sort of difference there uh damn near impossible oh my god damn near impossible yeah we 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 have synergy there Mm -hmm. i would rather work for work with a new company where we can work on core values at the beginning Mm -hmm. than trying to shift the whole i don't see myself i would be very surprised i don't see myself working for a microsoft or or a home depot or coca-cola or or Google because there's just too many moving parts, and the, yeah, it's just it's there. Are, I could go in and work with teams, right but that is the silo perspective. Right. right. If nothing changes unless the system entirely changes, and it's hard to get your hands grasped around an IBM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. there's so many moving parts there um, that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. I would rather deal with someone who's because it also helps to have that stuff in the beginning because it it drives every decision you're making. Right. If you have well developed core values that you can turn into things that you can measure things on, right. it informs how you hire, who right. you hire, who you partner with, how you invest. All, all those things, down to the toilet paper you use in, right. the, in the bathrooms, yep. it's all based on those core values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so much easier to have that, not easier because it's complex to get to that space, but it's, it's the thing of doing the hard work up front right. so that you can, you know, oh, this is an easy decision because we just go back to the core values. Right. Does it fit? No. Okay. Nothing personal. Does not yep. work for us? Kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and then, then the other uh, the other thing that, that I would consider is uh, if you're going to go and you know do some time uh, with a, a large company, um, do it for yourself. Yeah. So you know having you know time with a major company on your resume, it's a good look. Yeah. You know it's, uh, you, you can't discount it, and but. Um, don't go in there thinking that um, they're going to be there for you because they aren't. Yeah. Um, you know, take the opportunity to invest in yourself. Uh, go spend some time at you know uh, a you know big bigger tech company or you know a company with a name mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to learn. Um, you know, one of the the most fascinating things uh, that I. Uh, uh, read recently is you know why Donald Glover went and took some roles that you know are way below him you know uh, you know as as an actor mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. as a as an artist um, and you know his his response to that was to learn how to do it yeah and I was like yeah that's it yeah, so yeah. you know go learn how to do it and then um, you know we need individuals out there creating uh, opportunities from the ground up that are going to uh, you know uh, help the, the next person down the line to, to really come up uh, and not have to go through uh, you know and, and work at uh, you know some random tech company to, to come up uh, you know where we're actually uh, you know building um, you know like, uh, the big tech companies are that you know they're, they're drawing right out of university. They're indoctrinating yeah. folks, yeah. and they're uh, you know bringing bringing uh, you know folks from zero to you know all, all the way up. Um, you know those are opportunities are are, are too few and, and mostly uh, you know for privileged white white men right yeah. now. Yeah. And um, you know so 
uh, I, you know, come to tech, please. Uh, you know, it, uh, you know, we, we need uh, more diversity in tech, um, but uh, you got to you got to create. Yeah, create the exactly. And I would say, don't leave who you are behind yep. because your experiences, your perspectives, beat out a twenty-something year old. Right. Because if you've had, we're starving for them. Yeah, like we we don't have access to them, uh, so you know we're 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 absolutely starved yeah. for that perspective. Exactly, because you have you've you had another career, you've done mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. We need that insight to help build co- products and services for people all over the world. And an eighteen year old just doesn't have it. That's mm-hmm. just just the reality. They just right. don't have it. And so, um, yeah, we I agree with you. We need. We need um, uh, an, I don't even want to say an older demographic, a different demographic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that isn't the fresh-faced puppy person that just right. came out of high school to college. We need, um, because it, that's where leadership comes from. Right. Um, and nothing against 18, 25, but you don't have le- those kind of leadership skills yet. Right. Because yep. those things happen because you've been tested. Right, you have, you have deep responsibility. Yeah. You've you've had you know, profound yeah. loss. Yeah, and you've you you made mistakes and you've learned from mm-hmm. them and all those kind of things. So thank you so much for joining the podcast. Are there any final words you'd like to share? So uh, you know, if you're interested in uh, working in open source and the evolution of you know open source as it goes into governance and standards, uh, you know this is an area where uh, you know lots and lots of, of white dudes, and you know I'd really uh, be interested in you know working with folks that have a background in history and a background in uh, you know social sciences uh, to bring more perspectives that ecosystem so if you're passionate about that uh hit me up dshaw uh on twitter dshaw dshaw.com uh if you want to uh, drop me a note uh, i'd love to talk thank you so much dshaw <laughs> <laughs> thank you kid. hello everyone i want to introduce you to brian Brian, hi, introduce yourself. Hey everyone, uh, so my name is Brian Hughes. I work at Microsoft as a developer advocate and I don't know, I do a lot of activism, I guess. Not this. <laughs> okay. So we'll start this conversation with, why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? <laughs> uh, self-deprecation is a thing I do a lot of. So. Yeah, and we gotta, we gotta work on that. Go gotta ahead. work on it, mm-hmm. I know, yeah. Uh, so I mean, I think it's really important to cause a scene uh, I sit in, in an interesting place, I think, in that like I, I'm a cis white queer guy. Uh, I grew up in conservative parts of Texas, and so I, I've seen, I've been on like multiple sides of a coin, and I've gotten like interesting, I think, glimpses into parts of society. And one of the things I've really learned is that, especially when we talk about like white supremacy and patriarchy, like one of the big things that this comes from is it's not particularly conscious, and that like it's, it's not that people decide, you know, you know, white folks decide. I want to go out and be a racist today, right? It's much more subconscious, and it's something that we've been trained over time. And like a lot of the early conversations I saw around this is like, oh, I didn't intend to do this. You know, people think they're good people, and so just you know, having a calm, like discussion about it doesn't actually get anywhere because we got to jog people out of that mindset, and that takes force and effort. And so we have to cause a scene to do that. You know, we have to really just like grab people's attention uh, and kind of like shake them awake in a lot of ways. And so like the way I do that, uh, this has been evolving a lot over the years, and this is very much still a work in progress, so we'll see where I am in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, 
it started, I think, a, a long time ago in very small ways, but it really started when I got involved in the Node.js project. Uh, so I was a leader of the project for a while, as focusing specifically on culture and inclusivity issues, because you know I got involved early, for, actually for technical reasons. Most people forget this. I got involved in the Node.js project to do technical work. But I very quickly realized that, like, oh, there's all these other problems, and this is much bigger. And so mm -hmm. I worked with you know a number of other folks to try and make a difference. But those efforts were largely stalled and failed for stuff that it will take way too long to go into here. Um, and so that was kind of how I started. And it ended whenever things came to a head, and we reached an impasse, and basically the only choice I had was to resign uh, rather publicly. And so that was the first time I think I ever really caused a, a big scene. Uh, and like this got a lot of people talking, actually. And I realized that it was when I realized that my voice had power, and also that I, there's a responsibility that goes with it. Uh, and especially when I started seeing just kind of their reactions to it. Uh, like I actually get people pretty regularly, even still, that will come up to me. You know, people I've never met from all around the world who says like, you know, what she did really inspired me. And that's when I realized that, you know, a, I have a voice. We can actually make a difference. And that by, it, but we make a difference not just by being polite and quiet. And that sometimes we have to get in people's faces. We have to make people angry and we have to I don't exactly want to say so dissension per se, mm -hmm. but eh, maybe. <laughs> actually, yeah, maybe that is yeah, it, actually. Yeah. Like, like, you know, we can't be polite about this because people don't listen to politeness. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and since then, I've been doing a variety of things, and I've been trying to find exactly what is my voice and where should my voice be, mm -hmm. which is predominantly as a supporting role. So I do things like, you know, supporting Casa Scene, uh, the conference. Uh, as well as the movement, amplifying voices of others, but also working behind the scenes. I, I think that's a really important thing that took me a little while to get to, that I can do a lot of work behind the scenes and moving things forward, whether it's having discussions with higher-up people who happen to listen to me, who have influence, and being able to influence you know, policy, hiring practices, whatever it is. And so it really kind of comes to um, support but also not being af afraid to use my voice when I do have something genuine to contribute with my voice. So what, what would you say to people who see you as a um, white guy, queer, who say, hmm, he might be using the platform for himself or, or to be manipulative? Because you've done, you've been in some high profile things. So mm -hmm. what, what, what would you say to those people who kind of challenge or question your motives? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question because I actually ask myself that a lot. Uh, and it's an important question to ask, given that on the whole I have a lot more privilege than lack of privilege. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's actually an important question. Uh, now, people tend to often ask it in a disingenuous way. How like, so? Uh, it, can be, it can be a silencing tactic, I think. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because especially like, yeah, I'm a cis white guy, and there's a lot of expectations around that, especially from white supremacy. Mm -hmm. You know, they expect me to act a certain way, and whenever I don't, it's all of a sudden, you know, I start getting into that, like, race traitor area. Oh, oh wow. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had that. I've yeah, had that. Okay. Oh, and I've, I've actually had people call me, white folks call me a lot of things over <laughs> the years, but, uh, but, like, so that comes up, and, it, and it, where the question comes from matters, of course, but assuming good intent, mm -hmm. big assumption, then no, that's actually important. And I need to step back and say, like, oh, okay, is this actually where I should be injecting my voice? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I haven't. Like, I have definitely overstepped when I was talking before. Mm -hmm. So I, I realize this is a vague answer without a, a non-concise answer. Well, it's your answer. It it's my answer. Yeah, it's your answer. Um, yeah. 
So how, how have you challenged yourself on those things then? How have you, if you've noticed, and I'm asking these questions because these are questions that white people are asking themselves. They don't know what, this is so, this is unusual territory. And they yeah. don't have yet, we haven't been doing this long enough for, the, for many to know where they need to interject, where they need to back off, where they need mm -hmm. to amplify somebody else. <laughs> so women, I mean, yeah. because you are a queer man. Mm -hmm. So there are some places, some lanes that you sh should definitely have your voice in. So mm -hmm. how do you make those those choices? Or is it hit or miss <laughs> like me? It's it's hit it's hit or miss. I, I try to use just my best judgment in the moment, and I and I try to take each moment almost kind of on a case by case basis, mm -hmm. which I realize I'm not laying out a framework that helps anyone to navigate this. I'm still figuring it out. I okay. actually don't have a good answer for you. Yet. Well, that's a, that's the best answer because, yeah. and I like that because. Again, this is not about right or wrong. This mm -hmm. is we, we're create, trying to create something that never existed before. Mm -hmm. And so your answer is an honest answer and the <laughs> answer people need to hear because everybody thinks, oh, I can't get started because I don't know X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. We don't, none of us know X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z, but we have to start moving. Mm -hmm. We have to start moving forward. Mm -hmm. And we'll all make mistakes. Yep. We'll all step on somebody's toes. And mm -hmm. it's about genuinely apologizing Mm -hmm. um, and seeing, learning from it, and moving, making different choices in the future. Mm -hmm. So if you, um, if there were a room full of marginalized individuals here, what would you like to say to them? All kinds of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's never, there's not right or wrong answers to any of this. There is no silver bullet to fixing these issues. There, we have to speak. I think that's really important. And this is something the queer community actually really taught me, uh, especially if you kind of go back in history a little bit. You know, uh, coming out is a really big deal for most queer folks. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a time, a lot of time, right now in the queer community, the sort of current understanding is like, we should come out whenever we feel ready to come out. Mm -hmm. And I very much support that. However, of course, there's a but coming. This, there, there was a point in time in history where there was never a right time, mm -hmm. right? And the people who came out, in a way, were almost kind of martyrs. Mm -hmm. But like that had to happen. And yes. so I think it's important from anyone from a marginalized folk, uh, any marginalized group, to say like, what is important to keep me safe, mm -hmm. and what is important that to keep me supported and healthy, and also we have to ask. What do we need to do to make things better for the generations coming after us? And those are in conflict. Yes, yes. And that's one of the things I, it's about for me, if it's not really life or death, that's the only, where I draw lines, I'm not mm -hmm. trying to be a martyr. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's not life or death, then there's a conversation I have to have with myself. Um, like, does it, does it meet my strategy? Okay, it does meet my strategy. Mm -hmm. Now, is there a way I can do this in a thoughtful way that people can learn? Okay, if there's a way, yes. If that's a yes, then if I'm not doing it under others, then it's like, why am I not doing it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, for a lot of white people that I talk to, it's just they're uncomfortable. And it's a mm -hmm. time to get mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It is time for people to just get comfortable being uncomfortable. That has to be the new norm for a while mm -hmm. for us to get to the other side. Yeah. 
So any final thoughts? <laughs> First of all, I want to thank you for hosting um, Causing Conf San Francisco. You mm -hmm. trusted my ass. I'm still figuring this out. <laughs> um, you trusted, uh -huh. even when I didn't know what the hell was going on, to, mm -hmm. um, to just go with this. So thank you for that. So any final comments? I just, we we got to keep pushing on this. And, and like you said, it's, it's not always going to be comfortable. And really making a difference, sometimes we have to put ourselves aside uh, in order to get forward and just but we have to do that yeah like that's not optional and it'll be great if we could do it together then you won't yes. be by yourself and that's what yes. hashtag causing is about it's like mm -hmm. we no one needs to be a lone wolf no one needs to be a hero mm -hmm. we if we go as a group as a team as a as a mm -hmm. cohort we get there much better one of us pushing the door in is not as effective mm -hmm. as a thousand of us pushing the doors in mm -hmm. so thank you so much thank you okay bye-bye Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Cause the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.